Hey, and welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. We'll do something light today. Uh, just something to get the debate going, just to get the brain juices flowing, and just get you as boxing fans, hardcores, casuals, it actually doesn't matter today. What I'd love for you to do is to listen to this one, and when you finish listening to the podcast, tweet me at Highfield Boxing with your answer to the question of this podcast, please. That's what I'd like to do. Let's have some fun and let's see people put their nuts on the line and let's see who's really got the courage of their beliefs to say what they really think in this case. So this podcast was basically triggered by what's happened this week with Anthony Joshua calling Lennox Lewis a clown. Sacrilegious, blasphemous, however you want to describe it, is the worst thing a young up-and-coming heavyweight can call a heavyweight legend. Is disrespectful for so many reasons, but it seems to have triggered a massive debate amongst casual, hardcores, matchroom fans, Joshua fans, Joshua haters, matchroom haters. But what it's essentially done is, is brought to the fore who's Lennox Lewis. And we can do another podcast on Lennox if people really want to hear that later down the line. And he's a very fascinating guy, he's an interesting guy, and you know he has a very interesting boxing career. But at the heart of all of this, Essentially, we're talking about, is Lennox an all-time great? Is Lennox Lewis top five of all time? Does he sit on that Mount Rushmore of heavyweight? So today what I want to do is I want to frame it differently. And I want to say, I've got five seats on the bus to heavyweight great of, start again. I've got five seats on the bus of heavyweight greatness which takes you to Valhalla, heaven, wherever you want to describe it. It takes you to that sacred place where only the best of the best can go. Bigger than a hall of fame, bigger than heaven maybe. Who knows? But there's only five slots you can put people in there. And everyone's got to decide today who sits in those seats. Who are your five? I'm going to tell you who my five are, and I'm going to define the criteria I'm choosing. And everyone else can have different criteria, and they can have different reasons. Today I'm just going to share my views. And I want to hear what everyone else's views are. You know, no answer is too stupid. No answer is too ridiculous. As long as it's from the heart and as long as it triggers the right kind of discussions. It's befitting that I go out of boxing like I came in. Meeting a big, strong bully that knocks everybody out. That everybody's afraid of. England can't produce nothing to beat George Fulman. Africa can't produce nothing to beat George Fulman. Japan, China, no country. But old Muhammad Ali. See. We could honestly only start in one place, right? When it comes to heavyweight greatness. And I thought that was as befitting a point to start the discussion as always. So my criteria number one. You have to have been great in more than one era. So what we mean by that is you have to have beaten one crop of really good heavyweights had some time away, and in that time the heavyweight landscape changes completely, come back, beat another set of great heavyweights, or challenge another great set of heavyweights, just be in that mix. And so you end up with three names. Muhammad Ali, for obvious reasons. You know, up until, I never know who, which, which the last fight was, it wasn't Oscar Bonavera, was it? It was, you know, was it Ernie Terrell? I can't, off the top of my head, I can't remember, but by... From 60 to 67, Muhammad Ali had a Hall of Fame career already. 
From 60 to 67, Muhammad Ali was an all-time great. He had proved himself an all-time great and he had redefined boxing. You know, this is a guy who won Olympic gold, then won the world title, defeated the most feared heavyweight in history at that point in Sonny Liston twice. Fast forward eight years to 1970 and he's still back in the mix with great guys and, you know, you're jumping in with your tune-up fights that Jerry Quarry ended on a cut. Oscar Bonavera, he gave you the round. And then you jump straight into the fight of the century in early 71 against Joe Frazier. So already, in your second era, you're ascending the mountain of greatness. And then everyone knows the rest of the career. Three Frazier fights, three Norton fights, Foreman, Holmes, you know, People don't give Ron Lyle his due, but put Ron Lyle in that mix as a guy who wasn't even that great in the 70s, but objectively is a hell of a heavyweight. Ernie Shavers is in that same voice too. Jerry Quarry's in that same voice. A good heavyweight, but in that era wasn't that great. Ali had another all-time great career from 70 up until just before the Larry Holmes fight. You know, let's not forget the Spinks fight. He had two Spinks fights. Won the world title three times. And that was when it was harder to do. You know, look at the wilderness. Yes, look how long it took Muhammad Ali to become heavyweight champion for the second time. It was a long journey then. So it's testament to his longevity. So Ali definitely gets on the bus based on being brilliant in two eras and giving us memorable moments in two different decades. It, it, it was really strange. I thought I'd knock him out in one or two rounds. But about the third round, I'd hit him and he fell on me. I thought, that's it. And he started screaming, that all you got, George? Show me something. And I knew then I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I had to play that clip from George Foreman because everyone knows George Foreman gets the second seat on my heavyweight bus of greatness. And even in defeat, we need to remember that George Foreman, up until that point, had basically massacred everyone that had stood in front of him. We talk about how Wilder's knocking people out cold, in brutal fashion, you know, catching bodies on records. And that's true. George Foreman was beating people up. He was smashing them to pieces. He was taking souls by bludgeoning you with brute force. The, the shots George threw were unorthodox. They made no sense. They didn't even look powerful. But you saw the reaction in otherwise strong men, great men, great heavyweight fighters. And he made great, heavy men, great heavyweight fighters look like small boys. And that's impressive in itself. In the most competitive era of heavyweight boxing that we've ever had, George Foreman stood head and shoulders above everyone else until the rumble in the jungle. Until that fight in 1974 in Zaire when he found out that there was one man in the heavyweight division greater than he was. Even now, one of the things I find fascinating about the rumble in the jungle is how myth and reality are so different. So we look at it and we say, you know, Ali knocked Foreman out, out of nowhere, right? That, that's generally the narrative. Eighth, eighth round stoppage, Muhammad Ali dug a shot out of nowhere. But I always find it interesting that Ali was up on all the scorecards. I think it was roughly four rounds to three on all the scorecards. Ali was ahead. Going into the eighth round, Ali was ahead against a tiring Foreman. So actually... It's not a shock win. Much like the Andrew Ruiz fight. It's not a shock win. He was in control. 
over a very feared opponent. He was able to take his hardest shots with a degree of comfort. And people talk about rope dope yeah, but rope dope doesn't take the pain away from those shots. Muhammad Ali had to do it. So you have that. And then you have George Foreman meandering in his career post-Rumble in the Jungle till he retires in, I want to say, 1977, where he has a 10-year break and comes back in 1987. Older, bit slower, wiser, family man at this point, committed to his church, and he comes back, as he says, to raise money for his church and has another career that culminates in him stopping Michael Mora in the 10th round or the 9th round in 1994. And in doing that becomes a world champion like two decades apart. Not only that, has great fights with guys like Evander Holyfield, has great fights with, um, I want to say Axel Schultz, but look at it like this. Shannon Briggs was looking for a world title fight not 18 months ago. Shannon Briggs was a relevant factor. He was a ranked boxer with the WBA as early as two years ago. And that was George Foreman's last fight. And he was competitive in a fight approaching 50 against Shannon the Cannon Briggs. Just let that sink in for a second. A man that was knocking out Joe Frazier for fun is now tussling with Shannon Briggs. So I can't tell you what greatness is if greatness isn't that. Being able to be a feared puncher in two separate eras to the point where there were rumours that Mike Tyson didn't want the fight. Who knows one way or the other, but it's a nice story to have. Maybe the biggest tragedy was we never got to see, in both of their second waves, we never got to see Larry Holmes versus George Foreman. That would have been an interesting fight. And it would have been the right fight for both men, but I have a feeling that both money and appetite just never managed to line up at the right time. So here we are. We've got two seats out of five. But let's just take a quick step back. And I know this is going to come up. Mike Tyson had two careers. But then I'd also argue, and this is tricky. Was Mike Tyson good in either era? Was he good in the 80s? Was he good in the 90s? I think he was okay. But it'll be that eternal question that we don't really understand if Mike Tyson was so good in the 80s, he made really good heavyweights look average. Or he was just the best of an average generation. It's very hard to tell. For an assessment of Mike, it's worth referring back to one of his former trainers, Teddy Atlas. And on the Joe Rogan podcast, Teddy Atlas was able to give his take. And this isn't a universal opinion, but it's an opinion of someone that was close to Mike, that understood the inner workings of Mike Tyson. Tyson's talent was so great. His physical ability, his talent was so overwhelming, just like somebody's intellect, just somebody's charisma, whatever, beauty, until it came to something else. But his talent was so superior that the other stuff never got tested. He was blowing guys out, and he, it never got tested if there was anything in the warehouse, so to speak. If there was anything inside, you never knew. And then five times, whatever the real record is, five times there was resistance. Five times it became a real fight. Five times there was something to overcome. And he failed all five times. He was only in five fights in his life. And he's 0-5. I'm sorry. Sour grapes, because we know my history with him, right? Am I, am I, am, am I capable of that? Yeah, I'm human, yeah. But I can honestly tell you, that 
I, 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 took, I, I'm, I try to be better than that. That, that. And I'm inclined to agree with Teddy Atlas. I think greatness is about what you did against people who were as good as you were. Could you overcome that? Ali loses to Frazier, then beats him twice. Ali loses to Norton, then beats him twice. Loses to Spinks, comes back and wins. Loses to Holmes and still wants a rematch and believes he can beat him. That's greatness. We never saw that with Mike Tyson. I know we talk about Mike Tyson having two careers in two different eras, but I don't think he was up there in either era. So Mike Tyson, for me, doesn't sit on this bus. And I know that's going to be controversial, but he does not sit on my bus. So we've got three seats left and a hell of a lot of heavyweights to get in and you start to get a bit sweaty at this point and you're like, I don't know who else is going to get in. But I'm going to introduce my next criteria. So criteria one, you had to be great in two different eras. Criteria two, for greatness, you have to have come up the weights. And I'm going to upset the purists, I know I am, but there are only really two names that we can have at this level. Name number one, Archie Moore. From 148 pounds to 208. I mean, a 60 pound weight jump from welterweight effectively to heavyweight. And objectively, Archie Moore is a great boxer. And Archie Moore rightly sits in the Hall of Fame. And when you list your top 50 boxers of all time, he's in there. But we're talking heavyweights here. So you can exclude much of the 200 plus fights that he had. Okay. As a heavyweight, no. I don't. I don't look at, at that journey and think at the bigger weights, it's not as complete as I would like it to be. Which then, look, that brings me to the second guy, Evander Holyfield. Making his debut at 177 pounds, fighting as high as probably 220 something pounds. So that's a 50 something pound weight. And not only that, he dominated at cruiserweight. You know, he went, he went, hell for leather twice with Dwight Muhammad Kawi, who himself is a Hall of Famer and a great boxer in his own right. And and so you look at him as cruiserweight, Carlos De Leon, he stopped him. Johnny Nelson struggled with him, as we know, and they fought to a essentially a board draw. So he dominated at cruiserweight, moved up to heavy as a small heavy, and dominated a lot of those guys who were factors in the 80s as heavyweights. Then goes on to beat Buster Douglas to become world champion. So takes the belt that Buster Douglas took off Mike Tyson, and then goes on to have a hell of a run. And I know we can talk about he fought an old Larry Holmes and he fought an old George Foreman, but they were both viable heavyweights at that point. We've just discussed George and said how viable he was. Unfortunately, Larry doesn't pass the criteria for being good in two eras. He was generally brought out in his second era to be fodder for some of the guys coming up, and I think he understood his role. But you're looking at Evander Holyfield, the guy that went twice with Lennox Lewis, three times with Riddick Bowe, was in there with James Tony, was fighting for a world title against Valuev in his late 40s. And all this time was able to fight for the undisputed championship, was, be, was the unified champion. All of this while being a smaller heavyweight. And I know there were questions about how he got so big, but Evander Holyfield was a great heavyweight and a fearsome heavyweight, a man who in the 70s would have been equally as intimidating. And so, do you put Evander Holyfield in that third seat? I personally think you do. Because I think it's really hard to have done the journey he did. 
and sustained the battering a smaller man takes when they move up to heavyweight. Because Roy Jones did it, but he came straight back down. James Tony kind of did it, but not to the same level of excellence that Evander did. And so, you know, back to that point. You have to have done it at a high level consistently. And I think Holyfield did that from cruiserweight, or from the Olympics, through his cruiserweight run, through his heavyweight run. He was always there or thereabouts at his peak. Easily a top three heavyweight at his peak. So, Holyfield gets the third seat on the bus. And he gets it ahead of Joe Frazier for me. Which is going to be controversial. Because we all love Joe and we know he gave us the thrill in Manila. He gave us great fights with Foreman. He gave us great fights full stop. But I see Holyfield and Frazier as kind of kindred souls. And I don't know if you can have both of them on the journey to greatness. Because we have to determine which one of those small bob and weave guys was the best. And for me, I just think Holyfield brought a bit more to the table and was more durable over a longer period of time. Well, wow, we're, we're down to two seats. And I know all the names spinning around in my head and all the names spinning around in you, your guys' heads as well. But we're now down to two seats and God knows how many heavyweights could fit into those two seats. So the next criteria has to be historical significance you have to be so great that you've redefined how people talk about heavyweight boxing or people still talk about you now in those elevated terms and so you end up with Ali but Ali's already on the bus Joe Lewis Jack Dempsey Jack Johnson for me so this next seat has to go to one of those guys so do you go with Jack Dempsey you know, the Brown Bomber, what he did in overcoming race and how dominant he was and some of the fantastic stories. I think my favorite story was he got caught speeding and the officer said, $50 fine. And yeah, he, he basically hands over $100 and the officer says, why are you giving me 100 And he's like, I'm going to be back down this way driving at the same speed, so I may as well pay now. Which, even if it's not a true story embellishes the character somewhat and then you've got Jack Dempsey who was a ruthless and savage street fighter and that's what his style was known for but for me it's Joe Lewis there's a beauty and an elegance to the way that he boxed a style I wish we could recreate now but I don't think we've got the teachers or the knowledge to do so but he informed a lot of what came after him you know that ability to keep your head off the center line you know the mastery of the left hand, disguising the left hook, all these beautiful things he did. And when the greatest of all time says he thinks Joe Lewis is the greatest, that guarantees you a seat on this bus. So Joe Lewis becomes the fourth guy to sit on this bus. And, you know, people will say, what about Jack Johnson? What about Jack? Sorry, guys, I, I can't get everyone in on this. But Joe Lewis is, and it's hard to argue against him being on this bus. And that's going to leave me with one slot. And I might have to take a few minutes to just reflect on this one. Whew. For me, the final criterion, the way I'm going to decide this fifth seat is one question. Which heavyweight would have been there or thereabouts, number one or number two, in any era in which you place him? So it has to be a guy who technically, physically, 
in terms of his achievements, has demonstrated he could hang in any era and be dominant. Now, we already have Ali on the bus, so he would be on that list. Foreman would be on that list. And then you start to look at other guys who aren't on the bus. So, Vitaly Klitschko. So, come back, maybe Mike Tyson gets in via this route. But as we said before, has he really demonstrated it? I'm not so sure. Larry Holmes has to be a strong shout. And then you go back and go, what about Vladimir? Dominant for a long, long period of time. Some might even argue Tyson Fury. Shouts out to Fury Power. Stiggy, what's up? And you then have to go, well, who's the one guy we universally accept could do that? Based on the fact that he's beaten guys that are in this discussion. And he's beaten guys that should have been in this, this discussion. So then let's take a little sidebar. Who should have been in this discussion and wasn't? For me, a guy like Riddick Bowe should have been in this discussion. But he never quite did it. A guy like Tim Witherspoon showed all the promise, but never quite executed. You know, how good would Cleveland Williams be in this modern era? Not so sure. But a guy who we know for absolute certainty belongs in this era, and I'm confident belongs in every era, especially in his peak years. And the fifth seat has to go to Lennox Lewis. Just based on who he's beaten. You've beaten Tyson. You drew and you beat with Holyfield. You probably won both of those fights. You were so good, Riddick Bowe didn't even want to fight you. And Riddick Bowe, at his peak, one of the best heavyweights that's probably graced the earth. You got wins over Shannon Briggs, and people will laugh about that. But, you know, his longevity has proved that, you know, he's still a force. Lennox Lewis ducked nobody. But more importantly, he had that style, and he was so technically proficient, and he was so intelligent in a boxing sense that he could have hung with anyone. He, he was able to solve problems. He was able to negate whatever someone had as a strength. And that's what made Lennox a scary proposition. He, he was able to carry that amateur nous in terms of being able to be technically sound, quick, managing distance, managing space, and bring that old school sense of being able to create openings, set traps. And I think Emmanuel Stewart was a big force in helping him do that as we then saw with Vladimir Klitschko. But look, you know, you went out the game beating Vitaly Klitschko, and Vitaly went on to dominate, to a point where you imagine Vitaly will always be rated higher than Vladimir, even though Vlad had the more storied career. Vitaly was probably the monster of the two. And what's good is when you look through Lennox's record and you can see him building his career over the years, and you see the names, you see the Glenn McCrory's, you see the Gary Mason's, you see the Derek Williams's, you see the Michael Grant's, you see the the Henry Akin one days, all good heavyweights. These aren't what you call filler opponents. These are guys that can box at European level comfortably. And Lennox dealt with them in a very dominant way. And then when he fought guys like Holyfield, remember Holyfield's on the bus as well. He was superior to him. And then he was superior to guys that in another lifetime are probably on the bus, guys like Vitali. And so when I look at my bus, now, and it's kind of like judging. You look back on it and you go, is that really the bus I want? And I think it is. So Muhammad Ali, absolutely. George Foreman, absolutely. Vander Holyfield, yeah, absolutely. Joe Lewis, Len, Jen, Len Lennox as well. 
that's exactly what you want to... I mean, that's as complete a story of the heavyweight division as you can have. And, I, you know, honourable mentions for Jack Johnson, honourable mentions for Joe Frazier, honourable mention, actually, for Mike Tyson because he redefined what a heavyweight can do in terms of economic potential and transcending the culture. And then I want to give a nod to Tyson Fury because he's one of the guys on the way up. Will Wilder be in this equation? Hopefully. But I don't think we'll see Joshua there. I don't think we'll see Joshua on this list. And a guy who would surprise me if he did it, but I'd love him to do it, was Andy Ruiz. Could he be the little guy? Could he be the David in a world of Goliaths and just keep getting upset after upset? Here's praying. But as I said earlier, I want to know everyone's views. Which five people sit on your bus of heavyweight greatness? Please tell me on Twitter, at Highfield Boxing, get in touch. Instagram, at Highfield Boxing, get in touch. Always here to have a chat. And, you know, guys... Just some hit the any other business button here at this point. So if you feel like zoning out now, you've probably covered the bulk of the podcast. But September 27th, Frank Warren's having a show at the Albert Hall. I know it's Daniel Dubois versus Nobody Tete. But it's going to be a, it's a fantastic venue. It'd be a good chance for all of us boxing fans to get together, grab a few drinks beforehand, and go and watch boxing in an awesome venue. You know, just a chance for us to, to get together you know, we're not going to be overly prescriptive about it, but if there's an appetite, let me know on Twitter, let me know on Instagram, and let's start getting the guys together. So we can actually coordinate ticket buying and make sure that the boxers get to benefit from this. So the boxers get good ticket numbers, and we start to put some economic muscle behind the fighters we, we back. Look, you'll have Denzel Bentley there, the knockout artist. John Pilata will be there, the heavyweight, you know, the heavyweight who's next up. He might give you another spectacular knockout if you all get your tickets off him. It's, what more do you want? Now, Frank Warren's showing you the new breed, the new generation. I feel Archie Sharp will be there as well. So you're going to see a lot of talent in a fantastic venue. There's no bad seat in the Royal Albert Hall. You can drink at your seat. There's a bar on every floor. There's no drama. It's fantastic. So let me know if you want to do this. Let's get a little gathering together and just enjoy boxing as a community. Guys, as always, thanks very much. And have a great day, whatever you choose to do from here on in. Yeah.